1: Ballerinas will tend to lose their hair around the edges. So the front, around the ears and at the back. Gotcha. So all those areas that have been pulled really tight. And I suppose anybody that had a Croydon facelift in the nineties <laughs> <laughs> would, would also would also experience that kind of hair loss well. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome
2: to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast, the show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. My name is Dr. Rupi, I'm a medical doctor, I also study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me on this podcast where we explore multiple determinants of what allows you to live your best life. And remember, you can sign up to thedoctorskitchen.com for the newsletter where we give weekly recipes plus tips and hacks on how to improve your lifestyle today. On the episode we have Dr Ingrid Wilson. She is the director of True Hair and Skin Clinic which primarily helps people with hair loss, scalp problems and skin concerns. She's also been a general practitioner in the NHS for 20 years and this gives her a helpful insight into what is actually available so that she can provide a service which is accessible and recognizes the challenges of long NHS waiting times and the limits of what's actually funded in terms of cosmetic treatments in the NHS she's one of the few trichologists in the country that are actually able to prescribe for hair loss conditions and she also participated in a panel discussion at the House of Commons on the epidemic of hair loss in black women to share the GP's perspective and has spoken at several events about hair loss and regularly writes on the subject matter as well. She's also a member of the Primary Care Dermatology Society, the British Hair and Nail Society, the International Association of Trichologists. Basically, she is the perfect person to be talking about eating for hair, because not only does she take a scientific approach to the process of seeing patients in her clinic, but she really does take heed of the lifestyle and holistic nature of the subject matter on today's podcast we talk about a whole range of different topics how you can separate different types of hair loss into temporary and to and permanent hair loss the diagnostic process and actually what other things could be underlying hair loss as a symptom the hair cycle uh, the number of hairs that you actually lose every day i was quite shocked to find out how many um, the nutritional requirements for good hair. One thing that we always look through uh, the lens of in, in this episode is how hair is almost like a luxury item. i.e. when you nourish your body with food, it's going to fuel parts of your, uh, your body and your physiology that actually require the nutrients to survive. So your liver, your kidney, hydration before any nutrients are delivered to your hair on your scalp. And and this is something that's quite important because I think hair and hair issues can be almost like the canary in the coal mine for any nutritional issues that you might be uh, suffering from. We talk about a trichotest, test, uh, a new genomic test that can uh, deliver a few more insights into the causes behind certain hair loss issues. We talk about the pharmaceutical uh, interventions with, with hair loss, both topical and oral. Uh, We also talk about um, different ways in which we can improve gray hair and uh, the other issues that, you know, people have asked me about loads of times. But because I I don't have a specialist uh, interest or area expertise in this in this area, um, having Dr. Ingrid on was just wonderful. I, I learned a lot from this episode and I'm sure you will, too. Um, Before the episode we sat down, had a chat and uh, we we ate lunch Uh, and the lunch I cooked for her was one of my new recipes from the book 321, three portions of fruit and vegetables per person, two servings per recipe and only using one pan. I actually cooked it in less than 30 minutes before she arrived so I was quite happy with myself and she seemed to like it so if you want those recipes do check out uh, thedoctorskitchen.com sign up to the newsletter where i'll be giving a bit more information about that and do check the website where we're going to do some articles on eating for hair as well as eating for a whole other range of conditions i'm going to be quiet now this is quite a long episode about an hour and i hope you enjoy this conversation i had with dr ingrid First of all, how was your lunch?
1: The lunch was absolutely
2: delicious. Oh, you didn't have to say that. No, no,
1: it was, it was, it was lovely. I, I, You know, any food that somebody cooks for me is always delicious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know it's not what you typically eat. You tell me about your diet and, you know, what you prefer and stuff. But I, I hope that, you know, this could become a staple in your house. You it's,
1: never know. Do you know what? I do like chickpeas uh-huh. and I like pulses as well. Uh, i like pulse in general as well okay. so i love mung beans they're absolutely delicious yeah that's my and favorites. coriander is my favorite herb actually brilliant. so brilliant you know, mine's lovely. tarragon is it <laughs> yeah mm. yeah it's a little bit of an odd one but i'm getting into mm. dill recently mm, i love yeah. dill well i yeah. told you about my dill plant didn't i yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah the
2: kibashi uh, the
1: bakashi bak- that, yeah that's um, it mm. g- yeah that gave it a uh, potent growth <laughs> potential
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm gonna try that yeah. for sure yeah for sure so we were talking a bit earlier about um how, how i found you first oh yes, of yes yes um and i was talking about the the whole process that i go uh to but behind you know approaching guests and stuff and i, I trawl through different websites uh different bodies and I, I try and get someone who's got a medical background who mm. understands you know the process by which we as gps go through uh removing or, or making sure that we're not missing uh red flags mm. um someone who has a nutrition and lifestyle slant and then someone who has a specialist interest in, in something. So I came across you, okay. I approached you, we had a conversation and I'm really excited about this uh, podcast because I, I get asked about hair a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to ask uh, you to give a little background into A, your general practice career, but then also how you got into trichology.
1: Yeah, so I, I, tra- I trained in Liverpool. I did my GP training in the Mersey region. Um. It was really you know really enjoyable i was a salary gp for about nine months actually mm. which was quite a short period of time i know but the opportunity came to train in public health oh, so uh i i only just applied the once and i got onto the public health training scheme so uh, i know that people did try for many years to try and get on the scheme so i was quite lucky to just get on it first time mm. and so i just went through the scheme uh in the Cheshire Merseyside area for five years. And um, and then when the scheme finished, there was a big reorganization of the NHS. So there were no consultant jobs. Right. So stayed on for an extra year, but during that time I returned to general practice. So I, I sort of did a part-time GP returner scheme. And during that GP returner scheme, I also um, did a little bit of dermatology learning gotcha. as, as well. Right. And, um, that was I did a week's course at, I think it was uh, Salford or mm-hmm. Manchester, but it was a week's course. And it was terrifying because I thought, gosh, I really don't know as much dermatology as I thought I did. <laughs> um, and it just sort of started me on this journey of wanting to learn as much as I could about, mm. a, about skin problems.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And then the, the kind of, um, the interest in trichology came after... Sort of personal experience of hair loss and realising that I wasn't really able to help people as a GP as much as I wanted to. Right. Because we get, I think most people can recognise balding. Mm. Um, most GPs can, most members of the public can. But then there are those other conditions that you sort of think, what on earth is that? Yeah. And so about, uh, about sort of 2010, I decided to look for a course to just try and improve my knowledge. Okay. Um, but I couldn't find one for GP, so I decided to go and train with the Institute of Trichologists. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I I did a two year distance course with them. Oh wow! Yeah, so it was mainly sort of correspondence. You did uh, essays and uh, which got marked, and, mm. and you go down to their their centre at Tooting. Yeah, yeah. And do and get some teaching and do some practical sessions as well. So. So that was a that's an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and since then, how
2: has that had an impact on your medical career because you also do GP appraisals as well, so you're still very much focused on the the medical aspect of everything.
1: Yeah, I mean the the hair stuff, it's sort of peripheral to my mainstream general practice mm. because I think in the typical GP consultation, you just don't really have enough time to yeah. go into hair loss conditions in the way that you'd like to
0: because
1: mm. people need a lot from you when they're when they're experiencing hair loss which there just isn't time for so yeah. there's all the psychological stuff that's going on there's the, the physical problems that you've got to exclude you don't really get time to go into the nutrition yeah which yeah. I, ideally you would and then there's the practical side mm. wigs hair pieces yeah. hair camouflage you just don't have time to, to do that in the in a typical consultation. Yeah. Um so I sort of see the hair loss um work that I do as slightly separate to uh to general practice and, yeah. and appraisals and things. Ideally would you mm.
2: like to do more of it, do you think? <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Because every time I start on some endeavour around hair, yeah. I end up delving really, really deep into it and yeah. thinking, Oh, this is really interesting. Where can I go with this? Yeah. And so it's yeah, it's been um definitely been an adventure. Yeah. And and what I've been finding this is that since lockdown when I've moved to virtual consultations, mm. um, I've changed the model that I use to consult with people. Mm. So I'll do a thirty to sixty-minute consultation with them. Okay, um, that that's had like the dream. Yeah, <laughs> sixty-minute. That's it be because normally yeah. it's it's five. It's yeah, yeah. five minutes, yeah. even though it's actually a ten-minute yeah. consultation. Yeah, yeah. So you've got thirty to sixty minutes with them, but then that that will also be preceded by them sending me photographs of the gotcha. condition. Mm. Um, I'll ask them to complete a short questionnaire, which yeah. includes some psychological questions and yeah. that can throw up some surprises as well right. because it, hair loss can really deeply affect people. Mm. Um, I'll ask them about what hair products they're using, the supplements that they're using as mm. well, mm. because you would be amazed. Some people take loads of supplements yeah. in the hope that it will help their their hair. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so I've got all that information before the consultation. Yeah. We do the consultation and then there'll be some form of communication afterwards. Yeah. So normally I do an email, I send them a, an email summarizing what I have found and what I recommend. Yeah. I mean, mm. it sounds like a model that we need
2: to adopt for, for all conditions, really like mm. being
1: armed with that sort of knowledge prior
2: to your consultation as a GP mm. would be game changing. I mean, having emails and images and, you know, the the whole psychological assessment is brilliant. Uh, mm. Very, really good. So it's, mm. it's good to know that they, those are their resources out there. Um, I thought, like we could, we could start by defining exactly what we mean by hair loss, um, the different types of hair loss, and, and and perhaps what you see most of as well um, from your experience in trichology.
1: Okay, well, I suppose people mean different things by by hair loss. So mm. some people will notice that there's some thinning in some areas. Mm. So, uh, for example, if you're experiencing balding related to age, you'll notice mm. some thinning at the top and the temples in in men uh I and mean, at the top in in women mm. uh i'd say that there are two main categories of hair loss one is uh temporary causes mm-hmm. and the others are more permanent mm-hmm. which we call scarring alopecia's alopecia being a general term for for hair loss mm. So the what, the types of hair loss that we think of as being temporary mm-hmm. are um androgenetic alopecia or what we call male and female pattern hair loss mm-hmm. which is due to age uh genetics um and and gender. Mm-hmm. Then you've got um telogen effluvium which is basically hair shedding. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's when you'll see lots of hairs on the pillow uh in in the shower all over there all over the house. And then you've got alopecia areata, which mm. is a, an autoimmune hair loss condition. Um, and that is a very unpredictable hair loss condition, but in the majority of cases, it's, re- it's reversible. Most, about 80% of people will recover their hair mm. at, a, at a year, but there will be an unfortunate minority who will go on to lose all the hair on their scalp, uh, some people lose it on other parts of their bodies like their eyebrows mm. and, and and other parts as well gotcha yeah and then you've got the permanent hair forms of hair loss i understand the 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 form that's the most common that's seen in hair loss clinics by dermatologists at the moment is one called frontal fibrosing alopecia okay um i don't know if that's one that uh, uh in fact, I don't think it's something that GPs may be that aware of. No. But what it looks like is um, it's quite a high hairline. Okay. So you've got sort of, um, it's almost like a band of hair loss mm. at the front. Um, and sometimes it gets confused with uh, traction alopecia, which is a form of hair loss that's due to tight pulling oh. hairstyles. So okay. And uh-huh. that's, um, and I think part of the reason that GPs haven't heard about it is because. It was only really recognized in 1994. Oh, right. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a new condition. And I hadn't actually heard of it until I did the trichology course. And um, there are lots of theories about why it started now. Um, there are theories about could it be sunscreen, use of sunscreen? Oh, interesting. Um, could it be the use of antibiotics or contraceptives? Uh, there have been some gene um, GWAS, genome-wide um, studies. Mm-hmm. Which have found some associations with the condition because it has been noted that it runs in families oh, interesting yeah, yeah, so so yeah, so I think the most important thing that people need to be aware of is that there are temporary forms of hair loss that are fairly straightforward to treat, mm. and then the more permanent causes, which um they need to be referred on to a dermatologist, yeah, uh, because the cosmetic appearance can be very significant for people yeah absolutely
2: mm. and w- w- just to uh talk about the um the pulling alopecia related mm. to hairstyles mm. does that impact certain people from different backgrounds I mean I know I'm thinking about um my own Punjabi heritage um mm. uh, my you know, I come from a Sikh background yes. where we have turbans and and I remember um my dad used to have a turban would would tie his long hair very very tight yeah i remember you know uh seeing my granddad and he had quite a high hairline yes i wonder whether whether it's distinct to certain people
1: yes it can affect everyone but it's mainly the hair care practices that are associated with it so um for people with a Sikh background a tightly um, tied turban Mm. can cause uh, hair loss in those areas where where there's been that long term pulling. Yeah. So it's not like plucking yeah. where your hair will just grow back. Yeah. It's that slow repeated tension. Yeah. So many wear turbans and I suppose young boys, um, yeah. they wear is it the gut? Yeah. 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 Or we
2: call it a jawder, I think. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right, great. Yeah. 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 You have a little knot yeah. yeah, yeah. uh, on the top. Yes. So yeah. that
1: there, there are actually reports in the BMJ from the 1970s, talking about traction alopecia in Sikh boys. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I should dig that up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Redline is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, other groups that affected ballerinas. Oh, really? Because they've got their hair tied oh, up really tight. Interesting, okay. Um, yeah, so I, um, I sort of supply wigs from uh from a from a large wig retailer and they they actually provide hair pieces mm. that are designed to fit around those areas of of hair loss because mm. ballerinas will tend to lose their hair around the edges so the front around the ears and at the back gotcha. so all those areas that have been pulled really tight and i suppose anybody that had a croydon facelift in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> would also would also experience that kind of hair loss as right, well. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But more seriously, it is um, it is something that affects Black women mm. um, uh, quite fairly commonly mm. as well, and we're not really quite sure whether there's a genetic uh, component to it. Mm. Are there fewer anchoring fibrils in the in mm. the in the dermis? Um, is it to do with the uh, the curved hair follicle? Mm. Uh, But hair care practices uh, do play a part as well. So Mm. there've been quite a few studies done in South Africa uh, around this. That Uh seems that in the um, sort of black populations in South Africa has been where most of the work on traction alopecia has been done. And they found that it gets more common as you get older. Mm. Um, There's a strong association with hair care practices. Uh Uh, If you uh, relax or chemically straighten your hair, Um, that increases the risk and if you sort of use styles that will cause repeated traction or pulling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. such as braids or weaves on top of that relaxed style Mm. then that will increase your chances and interesting yeah and actually during the lockdown period I have come across quite a few women who I think have had to confront this um, issue because obviously not not had access to the hairdresser and and, and various ways of concealing the hair so yes wow
2: yeah yeah i mean and this is all very new to me as you can really tell like you know i'm i'm not aware of like beauty practices and and all that kind of stuff Mm. uh, amongst different populations but this is this is really interesting And, Mm. and i wonder if we could talk a little bit more about the um, uh, certain treatments of hair, hmm. uh, like the relaxation, the chemical straightening, um, but even everyday hair products as well um, hmm. that are available. Is there any association with certain products that we, we should steer clear of or ones that we should perhaps entertain?
1: Well, to be honest, I know, I'm, I'm more aware of what's going on for people with with uh, more curly, uh, hmm. uh, afro-textured hair because hmm. I think that's where the attention has been paid to this condition mm. um including by organizations like like l'oreal um so there's a there's a new resource called africa derm mm. uh, that's recently been launched that's uh, published in patient information leaflets about it and they talk about uh using sulfate-free shampoos because they're less drying oh, okay. um so it's it's um there's still a lot of work to be done i think i think there's still a lot of un unknowns but there are certain known things like Mm. the um relaxing of the hair Mm. um and and the pulling styles Mm. but i'm not so sure about the association with certain products i think if um one thing that they did find in south africa was if you relaxed or chemically straightened your hair and then used a color or colored the hair within Uh two weeks Uh that was also associated with with traction alopecia gotcha mm. okay
2: fine so it's hairstyles certain products and um obviously there's there's other associations like you just mentioned you know mm. wide associations but we'll, we'll talk about that a, a bit later for sure so um i thought perhaps we should talk about um the, the first sort of category of temporary uh, hair loss mm. How how um, do we approach temporary hair loss, and how do we make sure that we're removing it from perhaps an underlying medical condition that could be related to hair loss in itself?
1: Uh, I, I suppose the first thing is making sure that you're you're sure of the diagnosis. Mm. So each form of hair loss will have its own particular way of presenting. Mm. So, for example, male pattern hair loss, it's got quite a classic way of progressing. Mm so it will start at the temples and then progress back it will also be start at the top and sort of progress down mm. so i suppose we we're used to seeing that on on many different yeah. people yeah um likewise in but in women women um they go bald in a different way so they keep their the front of their hairline uh-huh. but they've just got a wider parting at the at the centre, oh. it just looks thinner. Okay. Yeah. So from the top view, that's where you'll start to see most of most of the changes. So recognition is the is the main issue. Yeah. I think with men, it's sort of almost seen as an accepted part of aging. Mm. So some men are even starting to lose their hair in their late teens, early twenties.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, whereas for women, uh, if they're starting to lose their hair in that that female pattern hair loss away. There may be an underlying uh, problem like polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm. or in the worst cases, even a, an androgen secreting tumor mm. that could be responsible for that kind of hair loss at an early age. Would you see um, so,
2: like quite drastic hair loss with those sort of conditions?
1: You, yes, you can. You can see very extreme. Mm. Um, and it's amazing because people hide it very well. They may wear a wig, um, or uh, something called a topper, which is sort of a smaller wig that you put on the top. And they'll have been hiding it from people for a long time. Mm. So I do come across people who have hidden it from their families. Mm. Um, They won't be seen without a wig or a head covering. Mm. Um, So that's, that's very significant. Yeah. Uh, Alopecia areata. I remember that's the one where you get the circular patches of, of hair loss and, I think that's the one that GPS probably see the most. Yeah,
2: we do. I see a lot of that.
1: Yeah, and um, it's often I notice stress seems to be a trigger. Mm, mm. Interesting. Mm. I, that,
2: that I mean I I I'm used to doing sort of psychological assessments. Yeah, I always try and ask some sensitive questions about you know has anything changed over the last year or you know have you have you have you uh had any struggles or anything like that uh, i i notice if i you I have to be quite careful about the vernacular mm. if you you ask someone if they're stressed and no, 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 i'm not stressed no of course oh, mm. i'm fine but there are some underlying features i find of of uh a number of different conditions uh apart from hair as well where stress definitely is a contributing factor or something that is conveniently preceding uh, mm. a symptom yes def- mm.
1: definitely I mean, there is an association with autoimmune conditions as well, but Mm. the way I, when I see it presenting it, there normally seems to be some sort of event, Um, might be a breakup or stress at work or Mm. stress in studies that might, that might have triggered it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then the, um, the other telogen effluvium is the third main cause of, of uh, temporary hair loss. And that's basically hair shedding. Mm. Uh, So the, the reason why it's called telogen effluvium is it relates to the hair cycle. So in your your hair has got a growth of cycle and shedding. So the growth phase is called anagen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when the hair is being nourished. It's continually growing. And that normally lasts uh, uh, about a thousand days. Mm-hmm. It may vary from race to race. So some people have a longer growth phase than, than others. Then you've got sort of a, a shorter transitional phase called catagen which lasts 10 days. And then the final phase where the hair is resting in the hair follicle, just waiting to fall out, that's called telogen. Mm. Uh, and the effluvium basically means shedding. Ah, gotcha, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a classic story is somebody will, will contact me saying, I'm, I'm just shedding hair. And then when you go back in the story and you ask them about their health or um, anything that's been going on in their life, there's almost there's usually something that's happened about 4 months before yeah. the hair started shedding.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: It might be illness um sometimes even crash dieting but um or, or some major stress, divorce, death, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How how does one
2: differentiate between what is regarded as a, a normal amount of hair shedding? Versus something that could be pathological, whether it be related to something like stress um, or whether there's some underlying endocrinology uh, issue going on. Um, I mean, for example, whenever I go have a shower, I'm always pulling out bits of hair. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that's sort of normal. That is ha- normal, how yes. do we How do we get the balance and how, how do you adjust for that?
1: I suppose it's worth knowing that we lose about 50 to 100 hairs every every day every day which sounds a lot more wow yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know what i think uh, people who make vacuum cleaners will probably <laughs> attest to that, that we lose hair all over the place when we don't we don't necessarily realize it okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah but i think most people reckon oh and also there's seasonal changes in hair shedding as well so okay. around this time of year late summer early autumn people actually shed more hair uh but people may notice a problem when you suddenly see that there's hairs all over the pillows, Mm. hairs all over the home, Mm. uh, clogging up the shower, Mm. uh, the plug hole or whatever. Yeah. yeah, And that's when they notice that there's a problem. Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay,
2: so so with tea in in particular, and I think this is something that, uh, well, actually, what is most common in terms of uh, the the different types of temporary hair loss? Which is one that you see perhaps most often?
1: I think it's actually balding. Up up until lockdown, Mm -hmm. it was young men Mm -hmm. who, um, they looked across the dinner table, saw their male relatives and thought, I'm starting to lose my hair. Um, I better do something about it. And I think previous generations found it easier to accept Mm -hmm. hair loss. But I suppose we live in a more social media conscious society now Absolutely. and people are much more conscious of their their appearance and and i think those those early 20s are very very important for yeah. people from the image point of view because whereas made back in the 90s if a man was losing his age shave it off yeah now they're thinking oh should i have a hair transplant and mm. and also i think uh hair transplants are being actively targeted to young men in their 20s as well yeah. and um, so there's this whole uh, market that is, exists abroad that's yeah. encouraging younger men to go and get hair transplants interesting um, mm.
2: yeah mm. yeah I, I definitely agree with uh we as a society have definitely become a lot more image conscious and i mm. think um, that's definitely playing a, a huge part into where people go to seek um uh sort of i i guess uh ways in which to to help the, their their image and and and, mm. and and whatever but um that yeah that that's definitely something i've noticed amongst my colleagues I, i'm quite blessed to have hair <laughs> and a thick uh, mm. uh head of hair loads of people tell me that um, and a, a lot of my friends always ask me about what i do in terms of you know hair products and, and, and I don't think, perhaps I'm, I'm being generalist, but if this was 20 years ago and I was 35, I don't think they'd be having this conversation.
1: <laughs> no, no. I think because, well, my, my other my other half, he doesn't have any hair. Oh, right. Um, okay. So yeah, he he came you know, about 20 years ago. He came to that point where he thought, mm, I haven't got much hair. Yeah. So he just shaved it off. And at the time, Phil Mitchell, yeah. you know, the Mitchell yeah. brothers. <laughs> so you know wearing your shaving your hair off was not a you know not a big issue yeah so yeah, yeah.
2: interesting mm. before we go into sort of um uh nutrition supplementation and, and lifestyle practices to to help with with hair shedding um i wonder if we could talk a, a bit more about the this particular medical conditions that might be associated so we've talked about pcos mm. um we talked about chronic stress i mm-hmm. guess that could tip into uh this sort of psychiatric sphere of of why people might uh have um hair loss w- what other things do we need to be aware of
1: i think lupus actually yeah because that can present as areas of hair loss and mm. um, that's a potentially scarring or permanent uh form of hair loss mm-hmm. and of course that needs to be seen by by a dermatologist mm-hmm. who can manage all you know, manage the Firstly, the, the the hair loss condition, but also all the other manifestations yes. of yeah. it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah, and you mentioned crash dieting as well. So, like very low calorie diets, or people on a, a bit of a, a like a a phase where they try and rapidly lose weight for summer or something like that. Does, yeah, does that have
1: an impact? They they will they will get or they're more likely to get telogen effluvium. Gotcha. So they're they're more likely to get um, hair shedding, and that's just us because of the nutritional deficiencies associated with it as well. Because even though, yes, there are benefits to to losing weight, mm. you'll lose out on all those micronutrients mm. and macronutrients as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
2: So people who are trying to perhaps go on a very low calorie diet, perhaps just calorie counting without really looking at the micronutrient um, mm. uh, deficiencies, may put themselves at risk of this and Mm. i mean it's definitely something i've seen anecdotally in in general practice but i didn't Mm. realize how um what what the mechanism might might be behind that and I, i guess it's because it's impacting the the hair cycle
1: yes yes i suppose when you think about it the hair hair is almost a luxury if you <laughs> like yeah because when we're taking the, these nutrients into our body they're focusing on other processes gotcha. they're prioritizing other yeah. processes first yeah and so hair is kind of um Uh, kind of at the back of the queue that's such a good way of Mm. looking at it Mm. it really is so
2: Mm. it's like we're going to sort out everything else first we're going to make sure your liver's functioning your kidneys functioning your hydration status is optimal Mm. the last thing we're going to do is make sure that you've got a a luscious mane (laughs) (laughs) absolutely.
0: (laughs) that's just evolution (laughs) Mm. interesting
2: interesting okay great um so let's get let's get into the the lifestyle <laughs> elements of of it and, and nutrition. Mm. What ways are, are there um that are evidence-based um are, are them which we can sort of make sure we have, you know, thick strong hair and we are trying to reduce the uh amount of shedding and the opportunity for uh the other
1: temporary causes of hair loss. I suppose the basic principle is more or less what you what you espouse, mm. which is that you've got to have a, a wide range of, of foods, mm. uh, different food groups, different colours. But uh, you need protein, mm-hmm. and you can get protein from meat and fish, but you can also get it from vegetarian yeah. uh, sources as well. As you, you know, as you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, because hair is based is, is mainly protein. It's eighty eight percent keratin, which is a a protein. Mm. Um, You also need uh, fats, a little bit of fat in the diet. It Mm. helps to keep the hair in the hair follicle, Mm. almost uh, putting it very simplistically. You need carbohydrates, but you need the right kind of carbohydrates. So not the refined sugars and things like that, because that will uh, impact adversely on, on your, the scalp environment then you need vitamins, minerals, and of course water. Mm. So um, as long as you have a, a balanced diet that fits in with the needs of general health, I think hair health will, will generally follow.
0: Yeah.
1: So what I tend to do when I see people is I talk to them, I find out what their diet is like and, and just pick up any big red flags that might be missing. So, and again, you can get some quite interesting surprises. So people who may look healthy to you, they, they might go to the gym and mm. exercise. Their diet may be just completely bland or yeah. white and brown food. And so, of course, that's not going to be great for for the health of their hair. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
2: Do you think many trichologists or um, maybe even dermatologists or people who are performing uh, the surgical transplants for hair assess nutrition and lifestyle prior
1: to offering those services is it something that's sort of standard or i don't know if it's standard but i think that some are starting to think about it okay so i think what's happening now is that because hair transplants have become more well established they're now building up quite a good evidence base Mm. around it and and actually the hair restorations there are some hair restoration surgeons in the uk that are really leading the way in terms of of uh of hair education mm. and i think what they're finding is that to uh, enhance their results it's not just about being a great surgeon absolutely it's about making sure that that environment yeah. is is good is is perfect and that you will maintain the results yeah so some surgeons they do um platelet-rich plasma treatments um into the scalp uh, where your um, plasma is spun down uh, so your blood is taken your uh, spun down and so the plasma is um mm-hmm. uh, taken off and with which is rich in plate and injected and they're using that to support hair growth some are using medications to support hair growth as well mm. so i think it will vary like anything from from surgeon to surgeon but i'm starting to hear more about a more holistic approach yeah. being being taken yeah
2: i think mm. this is sort of happening across the board i i know there's um Uh, some pilots going on uh, with both uh, bariatric surgery but also general surgery Mm. so we have a prehab where you optimize your patient not just from a weight perspective but from a micronutrient perspective and then you also have a post-surgical sort of program where people Mm. are made sure to have vitamin e rich foods and and all the different sorts of micronutrients that would aid wound healing as well absolutely and i think it's yeah. very important from the perspective of hair particularly as we alluded to earlier how it's a luxury mm. so you're got to make sure you're, you're really hot on your diet and your lifestyle before those nutrients will be actually uh, you know directed uh for a better term towards hair follicles absolutely yeah yeah interesting yeah. um with regard to protein so we talked about like um you can get a full complement of uh, the nine essential amino acids from 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 meat products. You can also get that from um, uh, vegan sources, plant based mm. sources. So chickpeas, brown rice, the combinations of different plant uh, mm. protein rich uh, plant based items. Are there particular proteins or amino acids that may be more useful for hair for, from
1: the perspective of hair growth? I think it's all about balance, to be honest. Yeah there there are specific ones that related to to hair growth, but i don't think I don't think people need to necessarily think about it in in that way mm. I know there are a lot of um supplements out there that yeah. say have this uh type of protein, but the evidence for certain supplements is not it's not that great. Mm. There are a few that I'm aware of where there are some studies that sort of objectively measure uh before and afters using mm. uh, using certain supplements. Mm. But I, I personally at this point in time, I don't think people need to go into that much detail. Yeah, yeah. Mm. With fats, um,
2: mm. omega-3, particularly the long chain omega-3, so mm. EPA and DHA, which we know may have benefits from a cardiovascular perspective and a, and a brain uh, perspective, um, as well as inflammation overall. Mm. Uh, are those types of fats useful from the perspective? Yes,
1: omega threes um, and to a lesser extent omega sixes okay. as well, but mm. but mainly omega threes are seen as being uh, being beneficial. So, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. Okay. And so the foods that we're th- talking about there are like fatty fish and mackerel, mm. and sardines, mm. and um, there are plant based sources of omega three, but those are the short chain omega three, so perhaps a little bit harder to get from a, a vegan diet. Um, w- with types of diet in general one of the things that i i got back from the q a that i put out before the pod was people either raving about uh, a completely 100 percent plant-based diet vegan mm. diet being fantastic for the hair and others with the complete opposite mm. is there anything about that particular diet that could be harmful or beneficial to certain people
1: i think the key thing is vitamin b12 isn't yeah. it really mm-hmm. I think that's that that's the key mm. because uh lack of vitamin b twelve is associated with hair loss mm. and hair graying interestingly mm. enough mm. um so I think that's that's the main main thing yeah. that I can see from the diet yeah
2: yeah, anything about um uh vitamin a um so pro uh, uh, the vegan diet has a lot of um preformed and not preformed a pro uh, uh, uh vitamin so beta carotenes and the carotenoids but the conversion of that into the preformed vitamin a that you find in meat products is quite low do, mm. do, is there is there any evidence around vitamin a supplementation that you're aware of in terms of
1: um, hair it's not something that i would recommend actually okay. because in excess it's associated with hair loss hair loss yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 so I, I don't think again that i think people often take supplements not necessarily knowing and understanding what the what the potential detriment could be but mm. vitamin a no i wouldn't uh, recommend that as yeah a, as yeah. A, as yeah.
2: A, I've, yeah i've i've had some anecdotes actually of mm. people taking vitamin a and, and mm. actually not being good for the for the hair but mm. I, I, I guess it depends on the person as well um, mm. if they've isolated an issue um then, then perhaps it could be beneficial but not as a blanket rule no yeah yeah, yeah. um Supplements, let's talk about that <laughs> as we're sort of alluding to that at the moment. Mm. What, what ones do you think may have some benefits um, and uh, what ones are being touted as benefit uh, beneficial but lack that sort of evidence base behind them? I
1: think the, there are two supplements that sort of stand out as having an evidence base. So one is uh, Viviscal mm-hmm. and the other one is, is Pantagar. I would say I know more about Viviscal because i um, that's one that I, I do recommend in the right circumstances. And the, the background to that is that it was recognized that Esk- uh, Inuit people, Eskimo people had uh, very good quality hair and that was thought to be due to their diet, All right. which was rich in fish. So essentially what they did was they took the fish protein, um, improved it and... And, and use this as the basis of their mm. supplements. There are there other things in it as well, but it's mainly the, the fish protein. Mm. And there are some small trials that do show an objectively measured benefit. And then there's another one that, I, that I'm aware of called Pantagar, but I don't have much experience with that. But I have seen people report uh, some benefit from, from, from Viviscal. Gotcha. After. Yeah. 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 And then, but... Uh, but there are a lot of supplements out there. But I'd say being absolutely responsible, you know, as a responsible prescriber, yeah, um, yeah. you know, um, vitamin D, I would say, is the one that mm-hmm. people need to make sure that they've got the right levels of that. Mm-hmm. Because low vitamin D levels are associated with certain hair loss conditions. Mm-hmm. So the androgenetic alopecia, male pattern hair loss, mm-hmm. the... Um, intelligent effluvium Mm. and and alopecia areata Mm. it's not known 100% whether low vitamin d levels cause it but there's definitely an association gotcha so the recommendation is that if you've got a low vitamin d level and you've got these conditions then it would make sense to supplement and also for bone health of course Yeah. yeah 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 and i think the only other supplement that I would regularly recommend, depending on, on what the issue was, would be an iron mm. supplement because iron deficiency um, is one one of the commonest causes of anemia worldwide, whether that's due to diet mm. or um, in women of childbearing age, due to periods. Yeah. Um, and of course, as we know, you can lose your iron through, through other means as, as well. Mm. Uh, but you do see in in the again in the world of of hair loss we look at the ferritin levels a lot which and ferritin is a measure of your overall iron stores mm. and try and keep those at optimum levels yeah yeah. I remember yeah.
2: the paper you sent to me about mm. ferritin and the potential use of um, L-lysine yes. in combination yes. uh, with iron replacement and, and that being helpful for certain people.
1: Yes, I believe that pa- that research is also the basis of one of the more famous forms of supplementation that include right. iron. Yes, yeah, yes. yes. yes and that is what i recommend as to people as well yeah, um in yeah. in that situation so women with chronic telogen even yeah. chronic hair loss yeah. that's associated with um low iron stools uh it, I, I would recommend that gotcha. to them
2: Mm. and y- y- you do some work with um uh genomic testing as well because mm. uh, i wanted to talk a bit about selenium and, and folate as some of the other potential supplements mm. um can you tell us a bit about that because I- i'm not familiar with genomic testing at this point i don't use it in my because i'm working in any yeah so- <laughs> yeah but <laughs> so it's coming
1: into the nutritional world as well i massively, believe massively yes. uh, massively yeah so yeah.
2: i've done a podcast with a, a colleague of mine who's um uh a nutrient nutrigenomic practitioner okay they they specifically test um modifiable SNPs that they can you know change with diet or with supplementation as a Mm. last resort so it's definitely something that's on the horizon and should be really in combination with a whole bunch of other investigations Mm. i think so you get Mm. a real holistic picture of what might be uh better for someone's performance or overall well-being but Mm. yeah
1: well essentially this is um This is a form of of DNA testing that's been used across the world, um, Asia, Africa, United States, parts of Europe, and it was introduced to the UK last autumn. So it's called Trico test, and essentially it's a DNA test where a swab is taken from inside both cheeks. uh, A question, an online questionnaire is completed, and the. Uh, the test is sent off to a laboratory in Spain Mm. about two to four weeks later you get the results back now um, I've done a few of these tests with people so far but what I tend to do is I do a very detailed consultation on top of the questionnaire that Mm. they've that they've um, they've got as well Mm. because it's um, because it's quite new we're still learning Mm. um, around the reports and what. And the advice that we we should give, which I know seems like a strange thing to say, considering that it's been so well established in other countries but every country's got different forms of regulation, yeah. so the the algorithms that they use will be slightly different um in in different parts of the world so um essentially the report comes back and it tells you about wh- which treatments are more likely to work for certain Hair loss conditions uh-huh. so the recommendations are split into um, supplements mm-hmm. and also uh, in, into topical medications mm-hmm. well with regards to the supplements I sort of tell people okay this is what it recommends but yeah. you can get this in your diet <laughs> yeah. I will always I will always go down that route you yeah, yeah find up find my list of pro of um, of uh, dietary uh, foods that <laughs> yeah. that will that, that that have these these things, um, but but from the prescribing point of view, um, some of these medications they they well they're not necessarily commonly used in the UK at the moment, but they're seen as safe, um, and and so it, it's just making sure that you don't waste time on treatments that aren't going to work. Gotcha. So, for example, not everybody responds to minoxidil mm. or, or Regain, and we can. Mm. That scene is so safe that you can actually literally just walk into a pharmacy buy and buy yeah. it. Yeah, you have yeah, buy it from absolutely. the internet. Um, but for a significant proportion of people, it's just not going to work for them based on their genetic profile.
2: Yeah. So I heard it was like 50% or something like that. Right?
1: I've read one paper where it's 40 40% at six months oh, wow. in men um with, with balding. I suppose it will vary from population to population, but yeah. if you want some people are prepared to spend six months using a medication yeah. once or twice a day. But not everybody is. So yeah. I think the great thing about this is that it saves time. Yeah. And what I've also found is that um some of the some of the male patients that come to me and they've they've had balding, they almost all of them have tried minoxidil, mm. but it hasn't they, they've stopped taking after a couple of months. And the reason why they've stopped taking it is because they've actually had excess hair shedding, um, which is actually a good sign uh-huh. in the long run. <laughs> so the people that should have carried on taking it, uh, ended up stopping it <laughs> too early. So that just, the yeah. genetic test really helps them to, to, to understand. And, yeah. and also there is, um, there is an enzyme that if people are, are low in it, uh, you can switch it on. Um, uh, you, oh, it's called sulfotransferase. Forgive me if I haven't explained this correctly, sure. but there is um there's a process that you can switch on for some people who've got a deficiency in this particular enzyme, mm-hmm. um, which means that the monoxadil is more likely to work. Oh, gotcha. Yes, okay. yes. And I I'm proud to say that I actually got that into the algorithm in the UK. Oh, did you? Because I read one of these reports and I saw sulfotransferase, yeah. and and um. And I realized that it hadn't yet been incorporated into the pathway. So I uh, so they've they've I, I sent them the paper and they've now incorporated that oh, into
0: the
1: pathway. <laughs> 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 but it, it makes a big difference because the one of the alternatives is something called prost- you know. Yeah. You're familiar with yeah. the for yeah. glaucoma. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, one of the happy side effects of it was that people grew long eyelashes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like with minoxidil. Minoxidil, minoxidil yeah. was for high blood pressure, and people found that they grew excess hair. Yeah. So again, it's the this is the wonder of, um, of of medicine. Yeah. Most medicines have got more than one purpose, um, but latanoprost is quite expensive mm. in the UK at the moment. So mm. if you've got an alternative. That uh, uh, that you can use, and you you've got a, a fair idea that your genetic profile will favour it, then that's that's really good news. Yeah, mm. brilliant. Yeah, and mm. I think
2: the genetic profiling also saves a lot of money because mm. minoxidil, even though if you can buy it over the counter, it's prohibitively expensive, particularly mm. if you have to use it for months on end. Yes. And the time restriction as well. I mean, like doing it twice a day. I had some, uh, some of my friends in uh, medical school, actually, that were using midoxidil really? topically. Mm. Yeah. And they were none the wiser as to whether it works or not. And it yes. Was, I, I remember they sent me the paper <laughs> that showed that, you know, it was a 40 or 50% or however many it was that it's, uh, yes. it's beneficial for. So, you know, <laughs> half of yeah. them w- wasted their money as a poor student and other, the other half were successful.
1: Absolutely. Right. and And it's funny how people internalize that experience because i was doing a um a webinar um just the other week and a question came through about minoxidil Mm. and it was it doesn't work it didn't work for me Mm. um and it could just i said well it could be it's your genetic profile Mm. yeah so yeah yeah
2: i think there's a lot of insights that we will gather from genetic profiling particularly in pharmaceuticals in Mm. general i think um for sure um I, I'm I'm often uh, bombarded with I don't know why but I, I've got loads of adverts <laughs> for supplements for hair and stuff like that, um, including biotin um, mm. and some other ones that perhaps don't have as much evidence base. Are those ones that you ever recommend or get asked about at all?
1: Um, I do get asked about biotin, mm. uh, and I I would say it's one of those supplements where there's been a, a lot of um, noise about it but actually if you look at the evidence there isn't any evidence for Mm. that for biotin supplements being beneficial in someone who hasn't got a biotin deficiency gotcha um now the thing about biotin is that it's it's almost in throughout the diet so (laughs) it's really hard to be deficient in in biotin there are a couple of groups that will that are likely to be deficient so Mm there will be there's a neonatal form of biotin deficiency but this will present in the first 6 weeks of life right so it's due to a, a holocarboxylase deficiency and um, the, the child is born with no hair gotcha. and a terrible skin rash and so obviously you'll know straight off there's a mm. problem and then the, there's another type where which presents at around 3 months where um, it's due to a biotinase uh, deficiency mm. but in adulthood uh, pregnant women are probably more likely to get a biotin deficiency, people with a uh, gut absorption problem, but also people who eat raw egg whites. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, eat yeah, reason, raw the egg but... whites. Yeah, the, <laughs> the reason why is because um, it, uh, it it contains a protein called avidin. And so that stops the biotin from being absorbed in the gut, oh. but if your egg whites are cooked, that avidin is denatured by, by cooking, wow. so raw egg whites yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, st-
2: Steer clear of raw egg whites. Yes. Luckily, none of my recipes have that. <laughs> Actually, apart from yeah. whiskey sour, I do like a whiskey sour. I know it's got mm. whipped uh, raw egg whites in, but nothing that's on my website. <laughs>
0: I'm sure
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it won't be to the level where you end up with a biotin deficiency. No, probably not. We hope. Probably but, not. But I think the other thing that people don't realize about biotin deficiency, and this is something that I've seen in some patients who have come to me and they've already been taking biotin supplements for some time is that it can interfere with important blood tests. Mm. Yeah. So it can interfere with um, infectious diseases, tests, a uh, hormone tests, cancer tests. Mm, mm. Yeah. And more frighteningly, there is one case reported of somebody who had symptoms of heart attack, but his uh, troponin, which mm. uh, which would be higher in a heart attack was actually falsely low oh. so it got missed no
2: way yeah oh wow yeah
1: so that's one case that we we know about so there're probably people who have had let's say uh, abnormal blood tests yeah. and not realized that it might have been down to to the biotin interfering with the the blood test oh, say oh
2: wow yeah wow that that mm. i mean that's really scary
1: it is actually it mm. is and it's funny. Because it,
2: routinely, I don't think, particularly in a where mm. you'd be having a TROP test, yeah. we don't usually ask about supplementation specifically. No. And I, I doubt any of my colleagues would know about biotin in particular.
1: Yeah, and you'd be surprised. People are taking a lot of it. Yeah. And when you're riding around on the, the tube, I've always been aware of that word biotin um, as, a, as a supplement. But most of the evidence around biotin is for nails. Oh, so yeah, brittle nails. It, yeah. it does there is evidence that it improves brittle nails in mm. people that haven't got a deficiency and the few studies that have shown an improvement um of of hair growth there's been some reason why they've they've had a biotin deficiency it might have been some medication that they've been on or some some gotcha. health condition that they've got
2: mm. Mm. oh wow top mm. tip there mm. <laughs> that's that's really good to know i mm. mean yeah, I, I I I'm
1: cautious about
2: supplementation
1: in general, but that's made me even more cautious now. It really did make me think about about supplements. So mm. when I sort of learned that fact about biotin supplements, I thought it's not a it's not a neutral thing mm. recommending a biotin supplement. I think if I if I do say to somebody, look, I think you should take this supplement, but it's got biotin in. Just be aware that yeah. it can affect. Your um, certain blood tests, yeah. then I think that will make people think yeah. actually before, before taking it. And, and if you can get your nutrients from your diet, that's Absolutely. the safest way. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. you
2: said, because it's just so, it's in everything pretty mm. much. I mean, mm. it, it's really hard to become deficient unless you have those enzyme deficiencies. Yeah. Um, this, this is fascinating for me. <laughs> I'm learning really? so much oh, personally. Good. This is brilliant. Um, graying hair
1: oh yeah okay
2: <laughs> so this is again i'm asked about this a lot I'm, I'm getting a few grays actually i quite like my gray hairs um but a lot of people don't and a lot of people uh have reached out to say you know uh they're growing it they're growing in their 20s mm. and you know they're, they're, they don't have anything in their family history to suggest why or um, they don't feel particularly stressed but what what is the mechanism behind? Grey hairs in, in general, and why might someone have more grey hairs than someone else?
1: Oh, gosh, now we're getting very technical here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I suppose it's all to do with the, the, the melanin, and um, because grey gray hairs are really colorless hairs, but from the uh, nutritional point of view, the strongest association has been um, low B12. Gotcha. Um, and I think the biggest studies have been done in India actually, and they looked at people who were prematurely graying over a period of three years. And they found the strongest associations were family history, Mm. um, a low B12, and abnormal thyroid function. Oh, right. Okay. But I think there was also a relationship with low selenium and low zinc as well. Interesting. Mm. Okay. And Mm. with
2: regard to selenium and zinc, actually, sorry I didn't ask you before, Mm. are those supplements that come out as recommendations in the uh the genomic testing or the
1: selenium seems to come out as a recommendation Uh yes um but again i having looked at the literature Mm. i would say if you can get that from your general diet Mm. do because too much selenium can also be associated with with hair loss as well Mm. interesting there's a fine
2: balance with everything i find it is yes
0: yeah
2: yeah there's a real Mm. sort of therapeutic window for everything particularly when it comes to supplements I always remember my uh, one of my professors from my uh, nutritional masters uh she, she was uh, uh, you know always adamant that you should be careful of your Brazil nuts because really? Brazil nuts have a very from those that are grown in China I believe have a very very high concentration of selenium oh. that can be toxic if you you know munching on the Brazil nuts really from, yeah wow. it's to do with the soil oh yeah and the amount of selenium that's in the, in the soil yes um, I mean, I, I love Brazil nuts myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell her that. But um, okay, that's brilliant. What, what about stress and grays? Uh,
1: yes, there is an association yeah, there yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose we all know these. <laughs> yeah. <type> yeah.
2: Because <laughs> yeah, I know w- with stress, um, there's definitely a correlation with uh, low B12,
0: mm.
2: and whether that's because of uh, an interference with absorption. Um, which could then be related to the underlying process behind graying.
1: That that's something I, I find quite interesting. I probably need to look into that myself. But there was some very interesting uh, research published. I think it was at the beginning of the year. But mm. I yes, I don't remember the details. of it, I think it's something to do with stress in mice or something. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Gray. Yeah. Yeah. I will I will look into
2: that. I mean, certainly laboratory mice, those that have been stressed for particular experiment or whatever you do see graying hairs and mm. stuff so i'm i'm sure that someone has has looked into it but i, mm. I will look into that myself mm. um i'd love to i mean there's a few q and a things here that people ask about hair oils and um we, we've we've covered quite a few things actually but i'd i'd love to just go through the your process of when you see a patient so they come armed with maybe some images uh, an assessment you know some psychological uh, elements to that as well what's your what's your next steps and, and and how do you guide someone through that that process of improving their hair whatever the hair issue is
1: um i also ask them to get a summary printout out from their gp if gotcha. they can as well because mm. you can get that free as part of gdpr mm. now uh so what we'll what we'll do now is we'll have a uh an online consultation, and I'll go through the the history of the hair loss condition, uh, their past medical history, any medications that they're on, um, any supplements that they are mm. using. We'll also look at the, ask questions about the family history, mm. um, occupation, hobbies, pets, because again, that may, that may be relevant. Pets, uh, really? Yeah, sometimes uh, tinea capitis. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Just
2: for those who, are uh, it's a fungal infection yes. that can lead to hair hair loss.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, I would look at their nutrition as as well, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't sound like much, but it oh, always takes about. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I know personally <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of information. Yeah. Together, yeah. And and also, um, particularly for uh, for for women. I'd go through their hair care practices. So mm. what kinds of hairstyles have they worn? What kind of chemical processes have they used? Um, uh, sh- chemicals, uh, straighteners, wigs, et cetera. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah.
2: And pharmaceutical-wise, what, what sort of options are there for, for people in terms of medications and other treatments?
1: It all depends on what I think the underlying cause is. Mm. So sometimes I might say to people... Uh, I suggest you go back to your GP and ask for these uh, ask for these tests.. Gotcha. Most of the time they they do get done. Uh, I can prescribe a limited number of medications. So what I've had to do is with my insurer, I've had to sort of think about every hair loss condition I'm likely to prescribe for, and they give uh, and they basically give the okay so mm. so all the Trico test products i can prescribe for for those uh, mm. um for those situations if um if the problem is more cosmetic or if they want practical help about what to do then i will also go down down that route as well mm. so it will be simple things like uh what kind of uh products what kind of cosmetic products can you use to camouflage your hair. Mm. So your hair loss rather. Well there. Um so there'll be sprays, there'll be um fibers, mm. there'll be sort of um uh products that you apply to the to the scalp that can that can reduce the the show through of the scalp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll also give them uh advice about wigs and hair pieces because I, as I've got um I've got a, a a trade account with a with a uh a, a wig supplier mm. so i've got a range of colors that i can show to people mm. as as well mm. uh, so it's just really to try and give people the the whole service mm. uh, i'm sure i i'm sure as things evolve things the, the the model may change but that's the model that i feel is the most ethical i suppose yeah. yeah yeah yeah
2: it's definitely mm. very holistic from the sounds of things. You know, you're going through yeah. all the different assessments. And
1: and I try and bring science into it as well. So mm. I will d- do the, uh, a form of, there's a form of imaging that I've got access to called Tricolab Lab. Uh, so essentially that looks at your hair growth using very objective parameters. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. they only work with doctors. Oh, so right. you can send a report, uh, you take the images and they're downloaded and it, they're looked at. Uh, I, I believe the center is, po- is in Poland, mm. and you've got hair experts who are also able to give a second opinion as well if, if there's any any doubt, and um, and also the clinic offers platelet-rich plasma treatment mm. as well, mm. and there is evidence of subtle benefit for telogen effluvium hair shedding, um, male and female pattern hair loss as well. Interesting, yeah. and and
2: with that trico lab, um, what kind of things can they uh, help with the
1: diagnosis of? Loads actually, really. Yeah. M- most of most hair loss conditions, really. Yes, I- I've put a list of all of the hair loss conditions that they're likely to help in the in the diagnosis of. Yeah, because yeah. at
2: the moment, from from my understanding, it's from the clinical history. Yes, but which is always going to be very important.
0: Yeah,
1: that's very that's very important. I think that's also why they only work with doctors as mm-hmm. well. I mean, no no disrespect to trichologists because they've got. They've got a really good understanding of mm. uh, of, of common hair loss conditions, mm. but obviously we've been trained to take a history in more 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 detail. Yeah. Um. But yes, it's uh, it's 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 quite a long list of of hair loss conditions that they can can yeah. help with, and I th- suppose what's reassuring is that I've got a few books on demoscopy, uh, okay. and the authors. Are, of, of one, there's a there are a couple of names that keep coming up in who author all these 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 books, yeah. and they uh, they are involved with this this project as oh, well. So okay. so that's that's very reassuring.
2: Yeah, it's got a, mm. almost like a seal of approval. <laughs>
1: yeah, because I suppose I'm in this weird middle ground because I'm not a dermatologist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm basically a, a GP who's done trichology training, mm. so I've kind of extended that one. That one part of of, mm. of being a GP that tries to marry trichology with um, um, with the with general practice, yeah, which mm. is
2: why I think it's I think it's really important that actually because being a GP and having that foundational knowledge, you have experience of and you're knowledgeable about a range of different conditions that can be underlying for a number of different hair complaints, whether mm. it be autoimmune whether it be endocrinological, whether it be women's health related, etc. cetera. Mm. So I think that's super important. Mm. Um, so you, you, from my perspective, I think it's almost like uh, a benefit. <laughs>
1: it, it, it is a benefit, but I suppose sometimes it's the boundaries as well. Yeah. Because sometimes you think, oh, you've got a problem there that you need to get sorted out. Mm. Um, and encouraging them to go and visit their GP again to get a certain problem sorted out mm. that is likely to be affecting their, their hair loss.
2: Definitely. Mm. I wanted to touch on um, alopecia areata specifically, actually. Mm. Um, It's reassuring to note that 80% of cases will revert. Mm. What time period is that over? And there are some treatments like cortisone injections, anything to reduce the local inflammation. Mm. Are those things that you, you think have benefits at all? Or is it just a case of, reassurance monitoring and making sure that you've got the correct diagnosis.
1: It's it's always a difficult one to call, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think um it's 80% at about a year. Okay. Um, and when I think back to my GP consultations and you, you know, you get your e-miss print out, <laughs> which, which is sort of, uh, it, uh, cause I love that. I love the patient information leaflets. So I think they're really important. I think they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you, you kind of weigh up, what do you want to do about this? Do you, do you want to just wait for it to go? Mm. Um, we could try some topical steroids, um, Dermatologists do speak very positively about steroid injections. Um, Again, this is something that TricoTest does pick up. It does actually look at different types of of steroid, topical steroid treatments. Not steroid injections, but it actually does look at um, steroid treatments for alopecia areata as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But um, I think my approach is that if it's very severe, um, I would recommend Seeing a dermatologist, yeah, based yeah. straight off, yeah, because there is there's some very exciting new developments in the world of, of alopecia areata. Yeah. The, the jack inhibitors they are very very potent new medications oh, that have had quite um, uh, very significant drastic effects. Yeah. In, in, yeah, in a good way. Yeah, I mean they're not risk free, mm. but I wouldn't want to deprive somebody of that opportunity. I would say, look, if if your alopecia areata is very severe. Uh, and it's come on really rapidly mm-hmm. i would I would get a um a referral to a dermatologist in, in the pipeline very quickly yeah definitely yeah, yeah.
2: and it, there's definitely an association like we alluded to earlier with a number of different autoimmune conditions, mm-hmm. one of which is celiacs that i've heard mm-hmm. of and and that's why for some people who have recognized celiacs um a gluten free diet is obviously going to improve their gut issues, mm-hmm. but it may have an impact on their hair as well. Where it gets murky is um, this non celiac gluten sensitivity mm. and whether a gluten free diet might be beneficial for those
1: types of patients. Oh, I don't know. I yeah. honestly don't know. That's probably one I should um, go on to Medline about and have a yeah. look. <laughs> but um, it's, it's not a question that's come up, but it's yeah. a very interesting one, though. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think so. I think so. Mm.
2: I, I just think, you know, the whole area around autoimmune conditions, there's the, the, the so many associations that I've seen mm. anecdotally. Uh, that make me believe that you know stress is involved nutritional deficiencies are involved Mm. with you know there are intolerances and and again this is this has to be personalized to the patient not everyone is going to benefit from a nutritional intervention Mm. um, or a collection of other things sometimes you do need the hard medications and the hard harder sort of pharmaceuticals they're there for a reason mm. um so it's definitely about giving everyone the opportunity i agree mm. absolutely mm. Mm. um dry scalp okay <laughs> uh is that something that you see uh, at all and, and i'm assuming that's related to the quality of mm,
1: uh not really i suppose when people come and see me they've They've really had a problem, so yeah. I think lots of people get dry scalp yeah. now and again. So yeah. Um, yeah. they'll manage it themselves. So yeah. it's not not really something that I I see much of. It, it's more scaly scalp. Gotcha. And that right. was something that came up at the beginning of lockdown as well, because right. I think with all the uncertainty over people's jobs, um, that was incredibly stressful for people, and so they began to experience problems with. Um, very, very scaly scalps, um, and again, that's something a GP can mm, can manage. Mm, mm. But um, for certain hair types, uh, it, it's the the products are not always suitable. They can be very drying for for Afro textured okay. hair. So what I normally tend to do is recommend al- alternative options, and also alert people to what can what can actually be prescribed in primary care. Yeah, because a lot of trichologists they can um, they can supply various scalp um uh, products to help with with scaly scalps mm, mm. um but uh co- coconut oil uh, i think is something that seems to have many uses mm-hmm. um the only downside of it is that it can run down the, the face and yeah. that sort of thing but it's got yeah. lots of positive yeah uh, benefits i but, actually mm, personally
2: use coconut oil. You? yeah a very small amount a yeah. tiny tiny amount on, yeah. on my hair after i wash it because I've noticed whatever product I use, whatever shampoo I use, it always dries out my hair. So yeah. I can't believe I'm admitting this on the podcast. <laughs> but, but yeah, tiny bit of coconut. Okay, no, I, I swear by that. And I've been using that for years. But again, yes. for other people, it might clog up the scalp. It might be too heavy for them. Like it might run down your, you know, all, yeah. all these
1: different things. I suppose it depends on um, the phase of your your hair washing that mm. you, you use it. Because um, for people with Afro textured hair, it's useful to use it before you actually stop Start washing ah, to gotcha. prevent what they call high growth fatigue um so's high growth h y g r a l fatigue so it's kind of fatigue that's um of of the of the strand that's that's due to washing and makes makes the hair weak so a lot of people recommend doing that before uh before washing the hair gotcha yeah, yeah. yeah. but um coconut oil is supposed to help with um, hair greying as well I believe oh really
2: mm, oh interesting mm, okay mm. I'll look into that
1: <laughs> I'm still I'm still fighting the fight
2: <laughs> same here I mean I'm, yeah. I'm going to grow despite the coconut oil so. <laughs> uh, you mentioned something there about um, Afro-Caribbean hair and mm. products that might be more useful for them with Scaly scalp. What, what
1: are those in particular um, well I don't want to give away all, my, all of my oh, trade yeah, secrets oh of course yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there are there are certain um there, there are certain brands okay. that um that have the the necessary um uh therapeutic ingredients that aren't as drying. Gotcha. Yes.
2: Okay. Yes nod nod wink wink
1: <laughs> i can't give away all my secrets no, of
2: course of course you want to make sure we've got people coming <laughs> to see you
1: well it's, it's all about it's all about personalized uh treatments i agree as, it, as well yeah I agree. so so there, there are a few but you know ketoconazole is often the first line but yeah it's incredibly drying mm. um i mean the ones that i tend to recommend second and these are these are available from the GP yeah, cap, and yeah, over the counter. um yeah. Dermax, yeah. They're, they're nice, easy, straightforward ones. But say if those don't work, then there are there are other alternatives as well.
2: Do, do you ever use coal tar at all? in those who don't have psoriasis of the scalp,
1: I haven't personally used it. Okay, no, but um, Capsel has got coal tar yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: Okay, uh, a couple other questions from people because I I was inundated with questions, honestly, as you can imagine. Uh, So we talked about hair oils in particular. Any other hair oils that you're aware of? Like, I I mean, but in India, uh, I say in India, uh, my dad always... um, Use almond oil for his hair when he yeah. has long hair, and he swear by almond oil.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but everyone has their own sort of, you know.
1: Yes, it's it's. Um, I must admit, it's something that I probably will need to look into in a bit, bit mm. more detail. Mm. It's not, it's not a big part of, um, yeah. of, of of what I what I do, but I suppose it is, it is a question that comes up. So, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Um, postpartum hair loss mm. is that something you you come? Yes, across? I do yeah. see that. Yes, yeah, I yeah. think
1: uh, I think the big. Th- um, sorry, the big uh, shock is that uh, when women become pregnant, they mm. their hair continues to grow, and so they have lush, thick hair. And often the hairdresser is the first person to <laughs> notice that they might be pregnant. And then, <laughs> and then, af- and then after they've had the shock of giving birth, and I suppose the sleepless nights and things like that, yeah. then they they do notice that they get that that sudden uh, sh- uh, shedding of of, of mm. hair,
0: mm. and
1: again. As with all kinds of telogen effluvium, you get that, that shedding. Gotcha. I think in most cases it resolves as long as you're nutritionally in, in balance. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of women, they come out of pregnancy anemic. Yeah. So it, making sure that things like that are sorted out and obviously yeah. vitamin D levels are okay as mm, well. Mm. Um is really important
2: we're, we're going to do an episode uh, i think on um breastfeeding and postpartum nutrition okay because i think certainly uh, i i'd like to hope that most people understand that um uh, when a woman is breastfeeding their calorie requirements go right up mm. so i think perhaps there is a way in which if you are undernourishing yourself and your hair is a luxury item on your body um you're going to potentially impact that hair cycle that could lead to te yes um so p- potentially that that's related but um particularly women who are breastfeeding you know th- there's a few nutritional considerations yeah vitamin d iron and a whole bunch of others as well so we should definitely I and mean, it's a whole other podcast this mm. is a big big subject um uh, th- there's so much we've covered here okay that's good <laughs> it's uh, it, it, honestly it's it's been a real educational experience for me as well oh good um, I, I mean as you know as a GP we're not taught nutrition let alone you know nutrition for hair or about too much about hair conditions mm. so I think um, I really appreciate your time coming down here and, and talking about this oh you're very um, welcome we're going to link to all your sort of uh, clinics and, and you've got online consultations I though? do yes yeah yes. brilliant um i think that that's fantastic for people all over the country who can you know come and get your trade secrets <laughs> and, but also have that sort of real holistic consultation with that scientific edge as well i think mm. it's super super important mm. so you mm. know that i you know i can't wait to support that so
1: oh well yeah. oh, thank you very much because it, it's a journey for people yeah. sometimes as well so yeah. um so i don't charge for follow-ups yeah uh because uh, well as long as people come back within six months or they contact me within six months yeah. uh, because i think it's sometimes things will come into their mind that they haven't thought of yeah and um, and hair loss can really really weigh people down that's brilliant mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah well thank you so much for sharing your story as well i think it's um yeah super powerful oh you're very welcome <laughs> <laughs> Please do check out the links to crewhairandskinclinic.uk. Dr. Ingrid is seeing patients online so you can access her wherever you are in the country. Do follow her on social media. I've put the links on the podcast show notes at the doctorskitchen.com. I really hope you learned a lot from this episode. I certainly did. This is an area that I haven't actually spent that much time thinking or looking into. But if I were to summarize the conversation that we had, it is, making sure that your diet is nutritionally replete and you can achieve that using principles for healthy eating good quality fats lots of fiber plenty of plant-based items having it plant focused lots of different variety and diversity in your diet as well Uh, As well as eating in time, we didn't really talk about that today, but it's certainly one of the principles that I adhere to as it helps stabilize sugars and that can have a whole bunch of other downstream effects too. If you want to learn a bit more about that, then please do check out thedoctorskitchen.com. Sign up to the newsletter where we give recipes every single week and lots of tips to help you live the healthiest, happiest life. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this and I'll catch you here next week.